Hello, everybody. It is Michael here with another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. I appreciate everyone who's been tuning into the live streams. Make sure to check out the live streams linked in uh, the description down below. They've been on the Clips channel. It's been a ton of fun to just talk basketball with people. I'm trying to do those at least two to three times a week, probably every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. At least that's the goal for now. Yeah, so definitely go and subscribe to the Clips channels and uh, check out for those. We got a stacked episode today. I want to talk about the Utah Jazz, the Atlanta Hawks, the New Orleans Pelicans, the New York Knicks. I'm going to be playing NBA contender or pretender. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin uh, getting out of their current situation. And I want to talk about Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson. First, I want to talk about the Utah Jazz and how they've been playing lately and this season as a whole. The Utah Jazz have been absolutely phenomenal. Currently 23-5, best record in the NBA. And as a whole, everything for this team is just clicking on all cylinders. And they look absolutely incredible. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is absolutely my sixth man of the year favorite. I don't even think anyone is close if, uh, if the NBA season ended today he would probably be uh the unanimous unanimous six man of the year i mean when you consider how good this roster has been and how important of a part he's been to the roster he just has to be averaging 18 points off the bench shooting 38 and a half percent from three on 8.4 attempts per game i mean he's just been an absolute flamethrower off that bench and has played the perfect role that i feel like the jazz really needed which was just that big spark off the bench and he's doing it so so well well i do expect the three point shooting to probably slow down a little bit at some point Uh, i think he'll still be around the 37 percent which on the volume of threes he's taking is still very very good and i still expect him to be around an 18 point per game score he's just been phenomenal this year for the roster and has been such a big piece uh, off that bench just brings all this uh, spark and the scoring that they need and is just such a weapon for them to have because he's a versatile guy he can play the one he can play the two he can play alongside donovan mitchell or he can play with some of the different guards that they have and he's just a threat to score from anywhere and has definitely become an elite bench scorer in this league i mean he was very very good for them last year don't get me wrong but this year he's just risen to a whole nother level and has been absolutely incredible for them so far uh, and just as a whole, their bench is playing very, very well, uh, even though they don't have like any amazing pieces off their bench other than Jordan Clarkson. Like Derek Favors is just a very, very solid backup five. He doesn't do anything special. I mean, he only plays 16 and a half minutes per game, but he's just an efficient guy around the basket. He's going to run a lot of pick and roll. He sets good screens while he doesn't have like a crazy vertical or anything. Just due to his smarts, he's a very good presence to have around the basket. And he's just another nice player that they have on this roster who's definitely uh, an impactful guy off that bench. Uh, They got Georges Niang who's been shooting the ball. Uh, pretty well I mean he's only shooting 33.7 percent but he shot 40 percent last year and he was shooting a little bit better earlier on in the year so they just have a bunch of guys who fit and what I do love about this roster is just everybody's buying in and that's the thing that's working so well like Joe Ingles has played a lot of minutes off the bench as well this year and he's playing 
excellent so far. I was kind of worried about Joe Ingles after he had a bit of a down year last year. Like, he was still good, don't get me wrong. Still shot basically 40% from three, uh, but he definitely wasn't, like, as good as he had been in previous years. But he's back to playing some really, really great basketball. He's another guy who's just shooting the ball extremely well. And that's the thing about this team as a whole. Like, they've been a prolific three-point shooting team and the best in NBA history at this point, which is crazy. But if you look at your their personnel, they do have quite a lot of good three-point shooters. And Joe Ingles is definitely at the top of that, uh, shooting 5.43s a game and is shooting 44% out there. Also, is averaging 4.7 assists. That is a thing that I do absolutely love about Joe Ingles in his game is his playmaking ability. Like, he's always had a really good connection with Rudy Gobert in the pick and roll, and that's what has always been an offense that has been very effective for them. They definitely still run that this year, but for Joe Ingles, it's just a lot of him using his smarts uh, as far as playmaking-wise. He moves off the ball extremely well, and that's what gets him so many of those open shots shots he is a very very smart defender while he doesn't have the athleticism that a lot of people do I mean he's still 6'8 220 pounds and with him being as smart as he is he's still definitely impactful on that side of the ball and he's just literally the perfect player for this team and it's played so so well no matter what role they've put him in he's been off the bench he's been a starter and no matter what Joe Ingles is just playing really good basketball for them uh, Donovan Mitchell's having a good season so far, but honestly, the thing that I like most about this team is like Donovan Mitchell hasn't just, uh, have hasn't just reached this like whole nother level like Donovan Mitchell is obviously very very good I think he's improving steadily every single year but he's not off to this like hot MVP start it's just everyone around him is stepping up so much and they're making life a whole lot easier for him like he doesn't need to be relied on nearly as much because there's just a lot of other guys on this team now who can create for themselves and who can create for others so he's just being asked to do what he does best which is be a score his playmaking is definitely improving every single year even if he doesn't average a crazy amount of assist for me it's just always seeing the maturity of him as a playmaker and him just having the initiative to see his teammates more because sometimes I feel like especially early on in his in his career he could get pretty bad tunnel vision but year by year that's getting so much better he's averaging a career high 5.1 assist he's shooting 39 percent from three on 8.7 attempts another guy who's just shooting lights out and he's just playing really really good basketball i feel like this year he's perfectly mastered uh, in between him being the guy who takes over for them, but also deferring to the other guys on this roster, especially when they're having a hot night. If Mike Conley's having a hot night, Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, he's been completely willing to give them the ball and keep feeding them, which definitely shows a lot of maturity as the leader. And that's something you need for the guy who's at some point going to be the solidified best player on this roster. So I've been really impressed by Donovan Mitchell this year. He's just been playing really, really good basketball. Is definitely like a quiet MVP candidate and has been great for them this year. Solidified all-star yet again. Rudy Gobert, well, he'll never put up the most impressive numbers. Numbers. I mean, this dude is just one of the most impactful players in the league, and that isn't even debatable by anyone at this point. I don't care that he puts up 14 points per game. He is a legit all-star player that should not be a debate from anyone. He is just such an elite rim protector. He's averaged 2.8 blocks per game, and even though that's a crazy amount, I feel like that still doesn't show nearly 
the value he has around the rim because it's not even just him blocking shots, which he obviously does as a good rate. It's just the way he affects shots, and he makes everything just so, so much more difficult for the other team. And while I always am a guy who prefers versatility and prefers perimeter defense, you cannot deny how important it is to have a great rim protector on your team. And Rudy Gobert is just the absolute example of that and has just been locking up the paint for them. I mean, all the advanced stats show it. The eye test shows it. He's he's an elite defender, and he's been clamping up this year. And then while he doesn't have, like, the biggest skill set on the offensive side of the ball by any means. He sets really, really good screens. Is definitely one of the best screen setters in the league. He rolls to the rim well, and he finishes at the basket, gets offensive boards, and gets them extra possessions, and just does what he needs to do. He's never really going to go out of his role. He's not going to demand touches in the post. He just does what he needs to do on offense, and then is focusing all his energy on being the incredible defender that he is, and he's definitely been amazing so far this season. And is another guy who I would definitely say is in like top 10 MVP uh, candidacy. He's just been great for them this year. Bogdanovich has had a bit of a weird year and it's been kind of up and down. Started off the season slow, but now especially that he's starting to get rolling and starting to play really good. It's just another thing that is really, really scary about this team because when I was like talking about them earlier on in the year, I was always like, yo, this team is really good. And if Bogdanovich gets rolling, then it's going to be even scarier because he was a 20-point-per-game scorer last year. Like, Bog, Bog, uh, Bojan Bogdanovich was awesome for them last year, and he started off slow, but now he's hooping really well, averaging 15.6 points. I don't expect him to put up the 20 that he did last year just because they have so many guys who are stepping up and playing really good basketball. Uh, but as long as he's being the great three-point shooter that he is, which is shooting 39% from three on uh, 6.7 attempts, which is great numbers from him, being the very solid and smart defender that he is, uh, he just fits into this team really, really well and just gives them another option and another guy who just adds some versatility to this team. You got Mike Conley, who's had a bounce back year and has been very, very good. Another guy who's just been uh, on fire from outside, who's playmaking really well. And it's another guy who I'd say is in all-star contention for this team just because of how good they are and because Mike Conley's been just real, real solid this year. Yeah, he definitely didn't have nearly as bad of a year as some people were making it out to be, but he definitely had a bad year, and especially compared to what we expect out of Mike Conley. But he's just bounced back, and I feel like uh, it's just one of those things where some people it's not always going to be uh, just easy for them to transfer to a team right away, especially someone like Mike Conley, who had been in Memphis for so long, was so used to the culture, uh, the front office, uh, a lot of his teammates were there for a long time too. Like it's not easy to just go to a completely different situation and be good the next year. And then he, I uh, was definitely dealing with a lot of injuries. He had always had like a bunch of knickknack injuries, and I feel like that could never allow him to get into a good rhythm. But now that he's healthy and he's playing really, really well, he's looking like the old Mike Conley. And I definitely got to give a ton of credit to Quinn Snyder as well. The way he's coaching this team has been phenomenal. 
He's realized their personnel. He's realized how good of a three-point shooting team this team can be. And he's gone all in on that, which has worked out beautifully for them. I think he's easily one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA and easily just one of the best uh, coaches in, in the NBA as a whole. He'd definitely be in my uh, top five. I just think he's a phenomenal coach, and he's definitely a person who deserves uh, some more credit for how they've been doing this year because he's just been having this team run like a well-oiled machine and is just understanding the role of everyone on this roster and is having them play well. I mean, Royce O'Neal's been good this year, too. Like, Royce O'Neal's a really, really good rebounder for the forward position. Even though he's 6'4", it feels like he's playing the four at a lot of times, which just shows, like, his heart and how hard he plays. I mean, he's shooting 43% from three as well. He's not, like, a great three-point shooter by any means, but because there are so many weapons and so many guys that bring a lot of tension, uh, a lot of tension to them, uh, he gets a lot of open threes, and he just knows his role. He's going to stand in that corner, and he's clearly, clearly improved as a three-point shooter every single year and is now a pretty damn good one. And then when he's getting these open shots like he does, he's going to hit them at a really good rate. He fights on the boards, very good defender as well, and another guy that Quinn Snyder just uses completely right. I've been so impressed by the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think they're absolutely a contender. I was questioning that earlier on in the season, but with how they've been playing against some of the best teams in the league, with how this team is just running as a whole, it's impossible for me, and I think anyone who's saying they're not a contender or not a threat is just in complete denial because you got to watch this team. Uh, they've just been running like a well-oiled machine and are looking absolutely fantastic. Best record in the NBA, and that's for a reason eighth straight win uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers last night, and they've just been dominating the NBA so far. Uh, I've been very, very impressed by the Utah Jazz as a whole. Next, I want to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, who recently lost to the New York Knicks and now have fallen to 11-16 and on the season. After a pretty hot start, they've definitely had uh, quite a lot of struggles, and it's definitely been a very, very weird up-and-down season for them. First of all, I'll get the injury uh, thing out of the way. They're missing DeAndre Hunter, who is easily one of their best players, and that is definitely a big, big reason for why they are struggling the way they are. DeAndre Hunter was excellent before he got injured. One of the best young players and definitely one of the best uh, young 3 and D wings in the league. He was emerging to be even more than that. He was creating his own shot more and then he was just doing really, really well at those things. Was shooting the three ball at such a high clip. Was playing great defense, rebounding. Like he was amazing for them. So that's definitely been a big reason why they've been struggling. But there's also plenty of other issues on this roster that I need to address just outside of that DeAndre Hunter injury and the other injuries that they've had all year uh, this team has been just uh, given some really really unfortunate luck uh, with their injuries it's been a real real struggle for them as guys just are always in and out of the lineup and it never feels like they can get consistent minutes together uh, but the first issue I want to hit on is Lloyd Pierce uh, I think it's time for him to go as a coach I'm not a fan of Lloyd Pierce as a coach at all uh, I think they've gave, given him plenty of opportunities, and now with a good team, uh, with at least a very talented team, he is still struggling to execute. I feel like uh, when teams do make adjustments, a lot of the times he's completely lost. He doesn't know what to do, and I think that's why we see this team blow a lot of leads. Uh, obviously, they're a young team, and I think that's another massive reason why they blow a lot of leads. 
but I feel like after halftime, when the other team has a chance to make adjustments, and when they do make those adjustments, I feel like Lloyd Pierce just doesn't really know how to respond. Like, obviously, at a certain point, your players just have to play out there and uh, have to execute. Like, I was seeing some people just get super mad about Julius Randle destroying them last night, but I'm like, at a certain point, you also just have to play better defense. Uh, but Lloyd Pierce is definitely, in my opinion, a big uh, reason for this team's struggles. And again, he just seems lost whenever other teams are making uh, adjustments. And it's the NBA at the end of the day. These are some of the smartest basketball minds in the world. And especially if the Hawks really want to go far in the future, you're going to be facing teams with great head coaches. And we've seen that uh, with multiple teams. We've even seen it with the Hawks, where if you don't have a great head coach, you're not really going to go anywhere. They had Mike Boonholzer, and they struggled in the playoffs with him because Mike Boonholzer was another guy who just didn't know how to react to adjustments and didn't know how to make personal adjustments. And that's a reason why I don't believe in the Bucks this year is because they have Mike Boonholzer as their coach. Coaching is so important, and when you don't have a good one, if you're trying to win games, which the Hawks clearly are, you need someone who is very, very good at making adjustments and reacting on the fly. It's obviously not an easy job by any means, and I'm not saying I could be a head coach in the NBA because I think, again, it's an incredibly hard job, but if you do want to win games, you just need uh, a better coach than what they have in Lloyd Pierce, and he's definitely been a big reason. Uh, but overall, I think another big issue on this team is th just that they have a lot of young guys, and it's really, really hard to mix having a lot of young guys but also winning games. Like You have to have the nice mix of veterans, and while they do have some veterans on this roster, so many really young guys who just probably aren't ready to play at the level that uh, they want them to are playing such big minutes and it's such a big uh, issue for them because that's another reason why they blow as many leads as they do is just a lot of these young players aren't ready and I think it first starts off with Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish is easily one of the more disappointing players in the NBA to me and I honestly didn't have the biggest expectations uh, for him going into this year uh, but he's even fallen short of those expectations. He statistically is having a worse season than his rookie year, which is really, really concerning because he was bad in his rookie year as well. He's a very, very good defender, don't get me wrong. Uh, easily one of the better young wing defenders in the league, and he really hangs his hat on that side of the ball. I'll give him all the credit in the world for being a good defender, but you got to be better than he is on the offensive side of the ball, and that's simply enough. He is only shooting 36.8% from the field and 26.1% from three, which is just is just straight up bad. It is very, very bad from him. And he's one of those players in a very like Andrew Wiggins type of way where he makes all the moves. Like if you just watched Cam Reddish based off all his moves before he actually takes a shot, you would think he's some like superstar player. Because that's why I feel like he received received a lot of those Paul George comparisons because Cam Reddish's moves he's smooth as hell but he simply has to get better at taking those shots and that's why I feel like a lot of people got tricked by Andrew Wiggins because Andrew Wiggins had those like post moves he had those beautiful post fades and even a player that I love in Jason Tatum when uh, Jason Tatum was struggling for mid-range he's got much better at that but earlier on in his career he had all the moves to execute 
uh, but he just didn't hit the shot when he uh, took it. So that's something he just definitely has to improve on if he wants to rise to that next level. He's got to become a better three-point shooter for sure. And I think his overall just confidence needs to become a lot better because that's always been a thing with Cam Reddish. Everybody knows he has the talent. Everybody knows he has the raw ability. Uh, but it's just a mentality thing that just seems to be really off uh, for him. And he's definitely a guy who, when another team starts coming back, it feels like he just kind of freezes and he just doesn't really know what to do. So he's definitely got to work on that. And Cam Reddish is just a player who has a long, long way to go. And I feel like he might be one of those guys that we always believe in and we keep giving chances, but I just don't know if he's ever going to become the player that he has the potential to be. Obviously, I'm not writing him off because that'd be extremely irresponsible and immature out of me to write off a guy who's 21 years old playing at the highest level of basketball in the world. Uh, but it's definitely something I've thought about, and I just need to see a lot more from him before I ever believe he's going to be some all-star caliber player. Right now, I'm like, hey, he's going to be a really, really good wing defender, and the offense should come along. I'm not trying to give him any like Paul George expectations like some people were. Uh, he's definitely a big, big work in progress, and I think we just need to wait and see with Cam Reddish and just let him develop because... Uh, he's a player who has a lot of uh, room to grow. Uh, but with this player wanting to win, uh, with this team wanting to win games like they do, it's tough to develop a player like Cam Reddish. And this was the thing I was talking about a lot early before the season, and a lot of people were getting frustrated with me with, uh, with me about this. And I was just mostly talking about how many guys they have, and then trying to balance which this is a very very hard thing to do trying to balance winning games but also developing young players who are gonna struggle who are gonna have their ugly moments it's just a tall task and it's not something that's easy to do by any means and I think we're seeing that with Cam Reddish having the struggles that he is it's not easy to develop a young player like Cam Reddish who's going to make his mistakes and could sometimes even lose you games due to those mistakes that he's making but also trying to win games and trying to be competitive to keep your uh, star players happy. Like, it's just, it's a very, very thin line to walk on. And I definitely feel like they've struggled uh, with that through the season. And then you also have the, the John Collins rumors that are probably hanging over his and the team's head as a whole. Like, it's definitely very, very difficult, and it just adds another uh, thing that makes it challenging for them when you have John Collins trade rumors, and he's consistently been the second best player on this roster, and he's getting rumored to be traded, and it seems like they're not willing to pay uh, him a max contract, which I'm not mad at them by any means uh, for not wanting to, him uh, to pay him a max contract because while John Collins is damn good he's a very very good player I just simply don't think he's worth a max contract which isn't against him or anything because I feel like uh, so many players get paid a max contract when they're not worth it uh, but I could also completely understand why he thinks he's worth a max contract because he has those moments and he has a lot of them where I'm like oh man I don't think he's worth a max contract but I, I wouldn't be mad at a team at all if they uh, did pay him a max contract. Like, if Detroit somehow got off Blake Griffin's contract, I wouldn't be mad if they maxed out John Collins. I would not be mad at that at all. Like, 
there's he's a very very good player so that's definitely something that's probably affecting them uh, they had the whole thing with Trey Young earlier on in the season where I think that was overblown but that could also be another thing that's hanging over the team's head like obviously we don't know what's going on inside the locker room and this is just complete speculation but these are just a ton of things that could cause a team to struggle and could be a reason for why this team is struggling. So I'm definitely uh, worried about the Atlanta Hawks and their playoff chances this year because a lot of teams in the East, while the East is definitely significantly worse than the West, a lot of teams in that bottom of the Eastern Conference playoffs are fighting and playing some really, really good basketball right now. Like if we just look at the standings, there are a lot of teams playing well and playing better than the Hawks. The Hawks are currently uh, currently the 11th seed, which would not have them being even in the play-in tournament. I think the Knicks are playing much better basketball than them. I, I think the Hornets are playing better basketball. And then I think they're more much more in that realm of being with the Raptors, the Bulls, and the Heat than being the... Uh, the team that was like a solidified playoff team to some people, which I always thought that was ridiculous because I always had my concern about about this roster. I always had my concerns about Lloyd Pierce as a coach, and I always had my concerns about uh, trying to win with these young players. And so far, they've definitely uh, just came to fruition. And sometimes, like I'm not I'm not saying this necessarily, but sometimes I also just tend to question how winning of a player Trey Young is obviously Trey Young is a great player I'm not trying to be critical of him but with how poor of a defender he is because Trey Young is just easily uh the worst defender in the league like I've even seen some Hawks fans and this is a very very small portion so don't get me wrong that have tried to make the argument that Trey Young is an average defender which like if you watch any games he's just not and I'm not even saying that's Trey Young's fault Trey Young is six foot one and I'd even probably argue he's a little shorter than that, 180 pounds, and he's the player that's the main option on the offensive side of the ball. That's really, really tough to be a good defender, and that's where it takes coaching and having almost the perfect personnel for that to work. Like, we've seen that with Isaiah Thomas on the Boston Celtics a while ago. The only reason that team was able to win games was because Brad Stevens is a hell of a coach, and they had the perfect personnel to hide uh, Isaiah Thomas on defense, and they did one of the most masterful jobs I've ever seen uh, of hiding a really poor defensive player on that side of the ball. It's a tall task, and it's not easy to do, but if the Hawks really, really want to win at the highest level, they're going to need to do that. They're going to need to have the perfect personnel, and they're going to need to find a coach who is able to craft the perfect game plan to hide uh, Trey Young on the defensive side of the ball. So there's just a lot of issues with this team that need to be fixed and that are definitely concerning because this roster does want to make a playoff push. Uh, and they have the talent to, but I just don't know if everything's going to be there for them. And it's definitely been a really, really up and down season. But I just think that what comes with young players, and I, I think they have to really just pick a direction they're going in because, again, it's just so hard to balance uh, winning games and also developing young players. Uh, and I feel like that's only something we've been able to see a very, very small amount of teams do. Like we've seen the Nuggets do that, but even the Nuggets have a great coach in Mike Malone. And they also have a lot of veterans on that roster or not even not even a lot of veterans necessarily, but even their younger players like know their roles exactly. I feel like a lot of young players on this team just don't even know what their role is. And that's not an addictment on them. That's just the situation of the team. Like I feel like sometimes Kevin Herter is 
just handling the ball too much. I feel like sometimes Cam Reddish just looks completely lost out there. Uh, I feel like sometimes Don Collins can lack the aggression uh, that you'd want him to sometimes. Trey Young's aggression has been super up and down for some reason. Some games he's getting to the line like 12 times per game, and sometimes he's taking like nine shots. It's just, it's just a very, very weird team as a whole, and they've definitely had an up-and-down season so far, and I'm definitely worried about this team and their playoff chances. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, who to me are just easily the most confusing team in the NBA, and I just can't understand the direction of this team, where they're going, or how good they're going to be this year. They've been super up and down, they've had their great moments, but they've also looked really, really ugly at times, and again, it's just so hard to figure out this team. I feel like they made a lot of really big mistakes in the offseason. First with uh, hiring Stan Van Gundy as their coach. I think they just need to bite the bullet and admit to that being a big, big mistake because I feel like he's misutilizing a lot of people on this roster. I feel like Zion isn't getting nearly the amount of touches that he deserves. Obviously, Brandon Ingram is a great player. He's easily the best shot creator on this team. He's a max contract guy, but a lot of times I feel like he's just getting way too many touches when they do have Zion on their team. I feel like Lonzo Ball has been used very, very poorly. And even though at a certain point, uh, sometimes you do have to criticize Lonzo for just struggling. And he is playing much better recently. But at the beginning of the season, especially, he was just really struggling to hit shots. But I also felt like he was being put in such an unfair position uh, with how Stan Van Gundy was coaching him. And just as a whole, again, I feel like so many guys on this roster are really just being misutilized. Like Nikhil Alexander-Walker has had so many great moments, and then he's getting DMP coaches' decisions in certain games. And it just puzzles me when certain things like that are happening. But also, this roster just does not fit together in any way, shape, or form. I actually do like the trio of Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Lonzo. Lonzo is a pretty damn good three-point shooter. Inconsistent sometimes, but, I mean, he's shooting 37.8% this year. He shot 37.5% last year. Like, he's a uh, pretty good shooter now. Brandon Ingram could be their guy that they go to at the end of the game. Both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo can playmake. Obviously, Lonzo is a better playmaker than Brandon Ingram, but Brandon Ingram is a pretty good playmaker as well. And then Zion's the guy who just dominates down low, gets the boards, and is attacking the uh, glass. But other than that, this team just does not make any sense to me. Eric Bledsoe needs to get off this team. I don't know how they're going to do it because I don't know who's going to want Eric Bledsoe. But they need to get him off this roster. I don't care that he's shooting 40% from three this year. That's not sustainable. That's not going to continue to happen. Because if you look, I mean, his career high is 39.7% when he was only in his third season and he was only taking one a game. When he's at, when he's actually taking real attempts, he's basically like a 35% shooter, which isn't terrible, but isn't good either. And especially in the playoffs when teams really have time to game plan, he's always a non-factor. And he just does not make any sense alongside Lonzo Ball at all. That is one of the most disgusting backcourts I've ever seen. Like Those two guys are literally what, if I just thought of the worst pairing possible, 
that that's what it would be. It makes no sense that those two guys are together, and no matter how uh, they can do it, they just need to find a way to get Eric Bledsoe on a different team where he actually makes sense. Uh, Steven Adams is a good player, and he definitely helps this roster in a lot of ways that are important, but at the end of the day, Zion is a guy that you want dominating down low, so it just doesn't make sense to me why you get a center who can't make a shot outside the paint. Like, it puzzles me so, so much why they would do something like that. And I just really don't understand, uh, especially with that they extended him. The thing that I'll always say is I can understand at least to a certain point getting Steven Adams, but just being like, you know what? We'll get a solid veteran center for like a year. We want to try and make the playoffs. I, I can understand that. But my thing is always, why do you extend him before he ever plays a game for you guys and before you ever see how he fits on the roster just another example of this team being dumb and making so many confusing and perplexing decisions because we all know a floor spacing center alongside zion would make him succeed so much more and i'm not acting like floor spacing centers just are widely available on the market obviously they're not uh, and they're difficult to get, but it just confuses me so much why you'd get a player like Steven Adams and extend him where you're making it look like he's there for the long haul. Another just really, really weird move by this team. And then in the draft, when you have potential to take a shooter, you could have took Aaron Nesmith. As much as he struggled, I think he could have been good for this team. You could have took Sadiq Bey, who can shoot the ball, who can create his own shot a little bit. Would have been a perfect fit on this roster as another forward who can shoot, which they need desperately. There were other guards that, that they could have taken as well, but more of off guards. So you could have Lonzo be your point guard of the future. You take a point guard in Kyra Lewis, and I actually really, really like Kyra Lewis in his game. I just think this doesn't make any sense for him to be in this exact situation because it shows such a lack of trust in Lonzo Ball, which if you don't trust him, trade him. Like It just doesn't make sense to me because what is Lonzo going to think about that, that you take a point guard when he thinks he's going to be the franchise point guard of this team, that does nothing but just put him in the worst mental state possible and get rid of all his confidence when he's already a guy who has struggled with confidence throughout his career. And then you draft a guy at his same position. Like, what are you doing? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know what they're like. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're trying to develop young talent. I don't know if they're trying to get veterans to win games. I don't understand the direction of this team at all. Like it's so confusing to me because there's been rumors of Lonzo trades. There's been rumor, but then there's also been rumors of JJ Redick trades. So like, what is the goal of this team? I don't understand. And just like I was talking about the Atlanta Hawks earlier. They're in a very similar situation where it's like, are you developing young talent or are you trying to win games? Because it's very, very hard to do both. And it takes a really, really good coach. Or it takes a really good front office. Uh, and it takes a near perfect roster to try and do both of those things at the exact same time. Uh, and they're just in this super weird limbo state where they're kind of trying to do both, but it's hurting both of them. The veterans are hurting the young players' developments, but the young players are also hurting the team winning. It just 
it's just so confusing to me. And I think they really, really need to pick a solidified direction to go in. Like, obviously, no matter what, you're going to have some veterans on your team. But a lot of veterans are playing big minutes and taking minutes from young guys who could be really, really good in the future. Like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'll go back to this. He got a DMP coach's decision in the Mavericks game. Nikhil Alexander-Walker's been really, really good for them this year. Like, has he been a perfect player? No, not by any means. But he's been a nice spark off the bench. He's averaging 9.1 points. Like, he's been nice for them. And then you get a DMP coach's decision because you want to play Josh Hart 30 minutes. You want to play J.J. Redick 14. Like, I'm so perplexed by this team. And I, I think they're definitely a team that needs to make some moves at the trade deadline. But the thing is, I also don't know what those moves are. Like, I think Lonzo is going to be a person that a lot of teams want. I think a team like the Chicago Bulls uh, could definitely want him, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they were willing to move on from someone like Kobe White to get Lonzo Ball, which would definitely be really, really interesting and a really interesting piece for the Pelicans. But they just need to pick a, a direction. I think even though you hired Sam and Gundy to a long-term contract, I think you kind of need to just, again, bite the bullet on that and admit that that was a mistake and then try and uh, get rid of him before it's too late and and before your players start to get frustrated because like uh, Zion just needs to get more touches man there's it just doesn't make sense how this team is working I don't know how you take Zion number one overall and he's dominating the way he is I'll go back to that Mavericks game this game just completely like pointed out all the mistakes this roster have made Zion is dominating no one on the Mavericks can stop him because the thing is we all know what Zion's gonna do every single play and no one could stop it on that roster but what do they decide to do completely ice him out and stop getting him touches at the end of the game he has 36 points and he missed one shot he shot 14 of 15 and you just don't give him the ball at the end of the game like Sam Van Gundy what are you doing I'm just so confused by the Pelicans. They make absolutely zero sense, and they're definitely a team to uh, keep an eye on because they're going to make some moves. And, I mean, they just have to make moves or this team is going to be an absolute mess for years and years to come, and you're going to waste a really good talent in Brandon Ingram. You're going to waste a really good talent in Zion. You're going to waste a nice young player in Lonzo. You're going to just mess up so many people's careers. And you're going to be stuck again because your front office is just making bad decision after bad decision and screwing over your team yet again. I'm really, really confused by them, and they just make absolutely no sense. Definitely the most confusing team in the NBA for me. Next team I want to talk about is the New York Knicks. New York basketball is back. The Knicks are 14 and 15 and are currently the number six seed in the Eastern Conference. What a season it has been for New York so far. I have to start off with their all-star player, Julius Randle. Julius Randle someone I'm going to talk uh, more about a bit later, but Julius Randle has been 
incredible so far this year. I feel like Tom Thibodeau has put him in the perfect position. This team is built so perfectly around him, and he's playing easily the highest level basketball of his career and has been just amazing for them so far. He's averaging 23 points, 11 rebounds, and 5.6 assists, shooting 47.6% from the field, 40.6% from three and 80 percent for the from the line uh, with a true shooting percentage of 58.6 and is leading the Knicks to winning basketball games I mean Julius Randle's always been someone who's had a lot of talent but I feel like he's just been in a lot of really really bad situations and I feel like he's definitely an example of just how important culture is because now with a good culture with good coaching he's succeeding at the highest level uh, and he's just being put in the right position to do his thing and that gives a ton of credit to Tom Thibodeau and just this Knicks front office as a whole for making so many good decisions like this team is built perfectly for Julius Randle to succeed because he is a player who does need the ball in his hands and he does have the ball a lot in, in his hands and he's a guy who's being allowed to just uh, play free basketball like earlier on in his career when he was a young Laker he was getting taken out and barely playing in some games because he was making uh, young mistakes and then he had such a weird uh, situation with the Pelicans where he was playing great basketball the best basketball of his career and then the whole Anthony Davis situation happened which was just a mess for absolutely everyone involved and definitely didn't help out the morale of that team and that team really really uh, struggled and then he went to New York in 2020 where they were tanking and they weren't playing uh, good basketball but now he's finally being put in the right position to succeed and show off his talents and he is showing them off very very, very well. He's showing that ability that he has to just bring the ball up the floor and be a bit of a point forward. I mean, with him averaging 11 rebounds per game, they just allow him to be the freight train that he is because he's 6'8", 250 pounds, very athletic, and he's very, very strong, where he is almost impossible to stop going downhill and when he's going to the basket uh, because he's just most of the time going to go through you, and that's why he's been able to get to the line 6.6 times per game. That's why he's been able to finish inside and uh, get so many easy points right there because he's just in such great shape and he's such an athletic dude. He's playmaking for others while he sometimes uh, can be a bit of a turnover machine and he, he's going to have his ugly moments. That's just kind of the Julius Randle experience. He's definitely uh, gotten better at playmaking quite significantly and he's using that threat of him attacking the basket to kick to open shooters and now the Knicks have gone from a team who had some of the worst spacing I've ever seen last year to having some pretty good shooters on this team. Like Emmanuel Quickly is a very, very good shooter. Reggie Bullock can shoot. Alec Burks can shoot. Uh, they just have a lot of guys on this roster who can shoot. And one of those is Julius Randle. While I don't think the 40.6% from three is going to keep up, because that's just very, very hard, and he's never been a great three-point shooter by any means, I definitely think you can tell he's put in the work to become a better three-point shooter. And just his off-the-dribble ability has improved so, so much. I mean, we saw in that Hawks game, Julius Randle was going crazy in that one. Like, it was impossible for anyone on that roster to guard him. He was hitting tough-ass shots, and he's just been playing really, really well. Shout-out to Julius Randle. Absolutely an all-star. I don't think there should be any debate about that, and he's been just playing amazing for them. Uh... 
RJ Barrett's had a cool season so far. Nothing like super special by any means, but I think he's just going to continuously improve every single year, and I think we're seeing him improve this year. Already a really, really good wing defender, and I think that mostly just comes from how strong he is. RJ Barrett is super, super strong. 6'6", 214, and he definitely uses all that size, all that length on the defensive side of the ball to be a really nice uh, young defensive wing and then he's a, a, just a beast attacking the basket I mean he's a, he's an absolute freight train uh, just like Julius Randle he just knocks people out of the way because of his strength and that allows him to be a very very good rebounder as well like uh, just his strength as a whole is such a big part of his game and, and that's uh, one of the biggest reasons that allows him to be such a good player like he is and while he can get tunnel vision sometimes he can have an issue of not hitting his open teammates sometimes I feel like that's another thing that he's just getting better at and he's going to continue to get better at that every single year we're definitely just seeing him take another step in maturity with him getting better as a playmaker uh, three-point shot is still struggling and I don't think he'll ever be a great three-point shooter he just needs to continue to try and improve to at least become like average because every other other part of his game is so good that as long as he's average, that'll uh, make up for it. And while he's been inconsistent, he hasn't been great throughout the entire year. He's been pretty damn good, and he's definitely been helping them win games. And as long as he's just playing his role, playing smart, good basketball, then that's all that matters. He's still 20 years old at the end of the day. He still has a lot of room to grow as a player. It's only his second season, so I definitely expect him to just every year take steps in his maturity and in his development and I think we're seeing that this year uh, and yeah RJ Barrett's been pretty solid for them Emmanuel quickly has been absolutely awesome I love IQ's game so so much uh, he was a player that I liked quite a lot coming out of the draft uh, and I thought it was a good pick for them but I'm not gonna lie at all I didn't think it was gonna be nearly as amazing of a pick uh, for them as it has been I mean he's been shooting the three ball very very well he's a guy who I, I really like his three-point shooting ability because he can create uh, off the dribble for himself but he's also completely willing to move off the ball and he's a very good off the ball player shooting 38% from three on 4.6 attempts and then we all know about his floater game I swear this dude just can't miss any floaters at ever like his floater game is so so nice and then he's got such a nice quick first step like he he's very very speedy off the dribble his handle is super smooth and super nice which allows him to get into that floater area where he's just automatic from there he's got a great touch at the free throw line shooting 94.5 he's a pretty decent finisher around the basket he fights on the defensive side of the ball and has a really high iq on that side uh he's a good playmaker as well nothing special but he's definitely an unselfish dude uh who just hits his open teammates like Emmanuel quickly has been an absolute steal for them and has been just the perfect player for them and while I wish he was starting uh he has been fitting that role off the bench really really well and has been playing some really good basketball right there like you could argue he's up there for six man of the year as a rookie which is very very impressive stuff from him he's just been great as a rookie I love uh, his game so much and I just love the way he's been playing Derek Rose has been a welcome addition and him and Emmanuel quickly just make such a good duo off the bench with each other uh, which I really like to see uh, D Rose isn't doing anything crazy but he's just been nice for them he's averaging 13 points so far for them 3.8 assists and I just love that he 
gives them uh, another option and another guy who can create his own shot. Because that's what I did feel was an issue before they acquired him sometimes. Was sometimes I feel like the shot creation uh, could be a little bit iffy and sometimes the offense would get a little stagnant. So you just have another option in Derrick Rose who can handle the ball, who can create his own shot. Really good mid-range shooter. Still is athletic and then a good playmaker as well. And another good just vet on this team who uh, brings some good culture. And I think he's definitely going to be a mentor to someone like Emmanuel quickly uh, this year. You got Obi Toppin, who hasn't been great by any means. Like uh, He's definitely had his struggles, but uh, I think he's a player that people should not give up on at all. And I've already seen some people give up on him. While I wasn't like a ginormous fan of that pick, and I, I don't think it's a great pick in hindsight, the dude is still a rookie and he still has a ton of uh, room to grow it, it just does not look super good on them with how good Julius Randle's playing because like both of them I think are probably m most successful at the four like Julius Randle can play some five uh, and I think that's really good on offense but defense is still wishy-washy with Julius Randle as good as he he's been this year that's still something that I do question but then you just got other guys who uh, fit their role on this roster, like Mitchell Robinson before he unfortunately had that hand injury that I think is going to hold him out for four to six weeks, which get better soon. That'll definitely be big when he comes back. But he was fitting his role perfectly as someone who just runs up the floor, uh, is getting easy points on the fast break, getting alley-oops, uh, blocking shots and getting rebounds. Reggie Bullock knows his role completely, and that's just to shoot the ball and bring spacing to this team. And he's definitely been much better than he was last year. He's shooting 38.6% from three on 4.8 attempts. Definitely brings that floor spacing that they desperately need. Nerland's Noel, while not being the player uh, that Mitchell Robinson is, can still play that similar role of just being super athletic, blocking shots, running the floor, and catching lobs. So he's definitely been a good replacement for him. Uh, and then like Alec Burks can shoot the ball off the bench. He's been uh, another nice guy for them to have off that bench. He's shooting 41 and a half percent from three averaging 11.2 points. Like, Oh, just as a whole, this team is fitting together. Very, very nice. Tom Thibodeau is doing a hell of a job coaching them. And the culture is just so much better in New York. And that is so, so important. And a thing that I feel like people continue to underrate and undervalue just how important cult, uh, culture is to any team and how important having a winning culture is to the players because even though uh, like obviously talent does matter to a certain point and at a certain point you're going to need an amount of talent to uh, win at the highest level uh, if you just have a good culture, good enough talent, and everyone is buying in, fitting together, then you can be a solid team. And that's what we're seeing in the New York Knicks. They're not the most talented team by any means, but they're outperforming teams that are a lot more talented th than them. They're outperforming teams like the uh, like the Atlanta Hawks, who are more talented than than them for sure but i think the coaching on the knicks is um, much better i think they have a much more clear direction i think everyone is buying into the system much better so love everything i've seen from the new york knicks they've been awesome so far this year and it's really really cool to just see new york basketball is finally back we had to wait quite a lot of years but uh, it's been looking really, really good for them. Everything is looking bright. The future there is great. 
And then the now there is also very nice as well. So shout out to the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, uh, everyone in that front office and just everyone uh, that's involved with that team as a whole. They've done a very, very good job, and I got to give them all a ton of credit. I thought this team was going to be terrible, but they're outperforming mine and everyone's expectations. Shout out to the New York Knicks. New York basketball is back. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back, and in this segment, we are going to be talking about NBA contender or pretender. It's a pretty, pretty simple thing, so I'm just going to be going over teams and talking about if I believe they're a pretender or contender. I'm not only going to do this championship-wise because I only think a couple teams a year are a true contender for the championship, but I'm also going to be going in lower-seeded playoff teams and saying if I think uh, they're a contender as well to see like if they'll make the playoffs, so teams maybe on the outside looking in or teams that are fighting at the bottom. So first of all, we're going to start off with the Western Conference and the Utah Jazz. I believe this team is a contender. They are currently 23-5, and the best record in the NBA, and look absolutely phenomenal. Prolific and uh, historic three-point shooting team. Donovan Mitchell's been playing great. Rudy Gobert's been great as well. I mean, everything about that team is clicking on all cylinders. They have one of the best head coaches in the NBA. Like, it's impossible for me to not think they're a contender, and I definitely think they have a legit chance in the West, even if they're not necessarily my pick. A very, very good team and I've been very very impressed by them this year the Lakers are absolutely a contender as well my pick to win the 2021 NBA championship obviously the Anthony Davis injury is a bit scary and I think they just need to be as careful as possible with that do not risk uh, any uh, further injury let him sit as long as he needs to because that is something you don't want to play with at all and uh, that's honestly the only worry for this team they have LeBron they have AD with the best duo in the league and they are my championship pick so they're absolutely a contender I think the LA Clippers are contenders as well in the Western Conference they're a team that has surprised me quite a lot obviously I knew they had the talent but I was just worried about a lot of things uh, boy over from last year but they've looked much better I feel like the coaching with Tyron Lue has been much better he's done a very very good job of utilizing everyone on this roster Serge Ibaka has been a massive pickup for them he's been just great for them so far like I've been super super impressed with the contributions that he's been able to do uh, and this team as a whole just seems like it's running so much better Kawhi's been playing great PG's been great even though he's been injured recently and they've just looked really really good as a whole I think the Phoenix Suns are pretenders. I don't think uh, they're an NBA championship contender. I do think they're a very, very good team, though. Do not get me wrong. Uh, calling someone a pretender does kind of sound uh, harsh, but that doesn't mean I think they're a bad team at all. I just think it means they're not on the same level as these other teams. I've actually spoken very, very highly of the Phoenix Suns. I've said if injuries potentially could fall the right way or if something weird does happen, I would not be surprised if they even made it to the Western Conference Finals. I, I just would pick those top three teams in the East not in the East, in the West over them, uh, pretty solidified, again, unless there's an injury, which we obviously can't uh, take an account for. So I do think they're not a championship-level team, but I think they're a damn, damn good team. 
Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, I think, are in a very similar boat. And honestly, I'd say everyone else in the Western Conference that's in the playoff race right now is in the same boat. I think the Spurs are really good, but I don't think they have the talent to beat most of the playoff teams, to be honest. As well run as they are, as good as the coaching has been, and as good as a lot of the players on that team have been playing, I just don't think they have the talent. The Denver Nuggets, I just think they don't have enough help outside of Nikola Jokic. I don't believe in Jamal Murray. Uh, I don't think he's nearly consistent enough for them to be a contender. I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is consistent enough yet for them to be a contender. Uh, the Golden State Warriors just simply don't have enough help outside of Seth Curry. And then talking about uh, teams that are outside looking in into the playoffs right now, we got the Memphis Grizzlies. I think they're absolutely a playoff contender. I think they're even a team that I wouldn't be surprised if they're a top six to seven seed. And to me, it's just all about Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back because I think when he's back, that team is terrifying. That team has already been playing very, very well dealing with injuries, dealing with Jaw, being a little bit disappointing. Like, Jaw hasn't been nearly as great as I thought he would be, especially after he got injured. Uh, he hasn't been the same person, really. Uh, but he's still been playing well, and so many guys on that roster are just playing really, really well. I think the coaching on that team is phenomenal, uh, and I think they're just a really good team, and I think they'll definitely be a team that's fighting for the playoffs. Obviously, it's tough in the Western Conference. It's a tall task, uh, but they're definitely going to be up there. I also think the Dallas Mavericks are definitely a contender to make the playoffs. Uh, though, though they've had their struggles all year and they've had their ups and downs, at the end of the day, they have Luka Doncic on their team, and Luka Doncic is a top-ten player. He's been incredible so far this year, especially of, as of late. He's been playing really, really well. The three-point shooting has actually been like a career best, which people are completely quiet about that now, uh, even though people were being so critical about him shooting uh, like a little bit worse than he had in previous seasons. Luka's never been a great shooter. It's everything else about his game that makes him so great. Uh, and yeah, I think they're a contender to make the playoffs. While the help outside of Luka does definitely concern me, they do have nice pieces on this roster. I think Chris Stapps Porzingis could turn it up anytime. The only worry for me is that he does get injured again, uh, but I think they're definitely a contender to make the playoffs. I also think the Sacramento Kings are a contender to make the playoffs. Uh, I think this team it has a lot of talent and is a very, very nice team. Uh, I think they'll definitely be an interesting team to track at the trade deadline uh, because they definitely have some moves that they could make to improve the roster uh, but I just think De'Aaron Fox is a really really good player an all-star caliber player in this league uh, I think Buddy Heald is one of the best shooters in the league I think Tyrese Halliburton has been incredible as a rookie I think Rashawn Holmes is a really good center I really like Harrison Barn at the forward position and they definitely have some nice pieces off the bench as well uh, th that is the thing I would like to see improved the most though and that's why I would watch them at the trade deadline because if they wanted to go all in to try and make the playoffs they definitely need to improve that bench uh, but I just think what they have already is pretty pretty decent and while they're far from being a solidified playoff team I could see them sneaking into being that uh, anywhere from eighth to tenth seed in the Western Conference I think the Pelicans are pretenders to make uh, to potentially make the playoffs. I think this team just doesn't fit nearly uh, well enough together. Uh, I just think they really, really 
uh, don't look good at certain times, even though they have their highs where they look great. They also have a lot of really rough lows. I think the coaching on this team hasn't been good, and I just don't believe in them. And then the rest of the teams, I just simply don't believe they have enough talent. As well run as the OKC Thunder are, and I do think they could potentially be a team that makes like the 10th seed. Uh, I think towards the end of the season, those teams that are ahead of them are just going to prove that they're the more talented roster. And at best, I probably think they're the 12th seed. I'm taking those uh, 11 teams uh, that are ahead of them, uh, solidified ahead of them, and then Pelicans is up in the air for me. OKC's been solid this year, but I just don't think they're a contender to make the playoffs. Rockets, uh, I do think they could be a contender to make the playoffs, but my, my worry about them the most is just injuries. They've been hit by injuries pretty hard with Christian Wood and with Victor Aldipo. So my biggest worry and reason why I don't think they'll make the playoffs is we're pretty deep into the season and I feel like those injuries and then the struggles that they had with James Harden at the beginning of the year just kind of put them behind the eight ball uh, to make the playoffs like they would have to jump up a game and a half to even be in the play-in right now and I feel like until uh, they're fully healthy they're probably going to keep losing games and then the Timberwolves just aren't very good by any means so yeah uh, those are my contenders and pretenders for the Western Conference. Getting into the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers sitting atop the Eastern Conference. I think this team is a contender. They are my Eastern Conference pick currently with the way Joel Embiid has been playing, with the way Ben Simmons has been on the defensive side of the ball, and with how much better this roster fits together. Uh, in my opinion, they are a contender, and I do have them winning the Eastern Conference. I believe the Milwaukee Bucks are pretenders. I've been very, very adamant about this, and I'll continue to be adamant about this until they get a better coach. Uh, until Mike Boonholzer is gone, this team is not a contender. As good as Giannis is, as good as Chris Middleton has been this year, uh, Drew Holiday is very good. Uh, I just feel like they are a team that uh, doesn't react well to adjustments, and that all comes down to Mike Boonholzer. I feel like he's been misutilizing Drew Holiday quite a lot. He's been a spot-up guy when he's so much more than that, and I thought he was going to be so much more than that with this team. There's just a lot of things about this roster that are confusing me quite a lot, and I just don't believe in them. The Brooklyn Nets, uh, they're they're definitely a tough one to pick for me. I'm going to say contender just due to the top-end talent, but obviously I have the same worries that everyone else does. This isn't a unique take by any means. I just don't think they can be good enough on the defensive side of the ball. I think DeAndre Jordan is a bad basketball player, uh, especially on defense, and I just think that could definitely be exposed in a playoff series. My only reason I'm saying that they're uh, contenders just because it's so hard for me to see the top-end talent that they do have and think that they couldn't at least compete with anyone in the series. So I'm going to give them the contender label, even though that one's that one's wishy-washy for me, and that one's definitely tough to pick. I just think a team with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden is too tough for me not to say that they're a contender. The Boston Celtics are absolutely pretenders. While they uh, do have a very, very good, young, and amazing duo in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and I love those guys, I wish I could say my favorite team in the Celtics are contenders. They're just simply not. Depth on this team, not good enough. Kemba Walker's knee is very, very worrying. Brad Stevens has made coaching mistakes, and I just don't think they're a contender. I think at best this team is probably 
uh, second round exit with the way they're looking. Maybe they could make the conference finals, but even that I think is uh, kind of high for how they're looking. I mean, I could see them beating a team like the Bucks, the Nets. Uh, I don't really see them beating the 76ers, and I just honestly don't think they're good enough. Uh, and I've been super underwhelmed by them. The Pacers are a team that I just don't think have enough top-end talent, and that's always been my thing with the Pacers. Obviously, they're good. Uh, they're very, very solid. They're well-coached this year. They have a lot of nice pieces on that roster, but they're dealing with injuries right now, which is a massive issue. And even fully healthy, I just don't think they have that number one player to bring them to be like uh, – a finals team i think they're always going to be super consistently good and maybe they could have like their dallas mavericks 2011 run where they surprise everyone uh, but i just don't really see that happening and then uh, everyone that's kind of lower uh like the knicks i just don't think they have enough top end talent they're good but uh they don't i definitely think they're a playoff contender though and i think they'll be a playoff team i think the charlotte hornets are contender to make the playoffs they're seventh the seventh seed right now and i do believe they will make the playoffs i've been pretty adamant about that ever since i've seen Lamelo ball playing the way he has gordon hayward playing the way he has i just think that team is really really good and i think they'll make the playoffs uh, the Raptors are a team that I have pretty mixed thoughts on because I definitely could see them being a team that is kind of a seller at the trade deadline. They are the eighth seed, but uh, I think they should know and I think they should have the awareness that at best this team is taking one game or potentially maybe, maybe this would be extremely lucky for them taking two games in a first round series. I just don't think they have enough talent. I think the big man position is not good enough for them. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kyle Lowry moved in a potential Andre Drummond trade, obviously not directly to the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I could see that uh, working in a three team trade. And yeah, I just, uh, I think they could make the playoffs, but I could also definitely see them not making the playoffs. I think it's honestly just up to them and what direction they want to go in at this point. I actually do think the Chicago Bulls are contenders to make the playoffs. I believe Zach Levine is a great player, and I think he's improving significantly every single season. I think Patrick Williams is a really nice defender. I think Wendell Carter is a very, very good center. I think Kobe White is a player who has explosive moments, doesn't always look great, but definitely does have his moments. Lowry Markin look good this year but honestly the thing that has stood out to me is the uh the most is the bench unit for that team that bench unit is fantastic they have a lot of really really nice players and that's where most of their veterans come in and while the young guys are exciting they put up some big numbers at the end of the day the veterans are the guys who are helping winning basketball guys like Thaddeus Young have been huge to that team this year and yeah, I think the Bulls are contenders to make the playoffs. Uh, I think that goes for the Miami Heat as well, uh, even though they've had a lot of struggles this year. Uh, in a pretty weak Eastern Conference, I think they could definitely make the eighth seed. Uh, and even though I don't think they'll be much of a threat in the playoffs, I think they are going to make it probably just because they have Jimmy Butler. They have Bam Adebayo. They have great coaching. They're not the team they were last year, but I think a playoff team is pretty reasonable to expect. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, this is a tough case for me. This is a really, really confusing one. They've lost four in a row. They've looked very, very bad. They're missing DeAndre Hunter for a pretty extended amount of times. And I'm going to be kind of bold on this one and say they're a pretender. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think the only team that is above them that could potentially be worse than them is the Bulls and maybe the Raptors if they just went full all out or selling. 
Uh, but yeah, I just don't like what I've seen from the Hawks as of late. I don't think the coaching is good enough. I think there's a lot of issues hanging over that team's head. And I don't think the young guys are ready simply enough. Uh, I think those young guys can't really close out games. And I think that's going to continue to be an issue down the stretch unless they make some moves. The Magic have dealt with way too many injuries. Nikola Vucevic has done a hell of a job to even them even have them be 10 and 18. Obviously, that is an isn't a great record, but with how uh, many injuries they've dealt with, that's actually pretty impressive, but they just are way too injured. If they didn't have those injuries, I think they'd probably be a playoff team, but those injuries are just way too bad for them. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, we're off to a hot start. We're looking good, but this team has kind of fallen off a cliff. They have the Andre Drummond situation now, and I just don't think this team is good enough. It was nice while it lasted. Colin Sexton's been great this year. Darius Garland's been very good. I think Jared Allen is going to be great as, uh, as he takes over as the starting center, but I think until that forward position gets figured out, I just don't think they're going to make the playoffs as Isaac Coro has had a lot of ups and downs this year, has struggled really, really badly at certain points. And I think they need uh, a power forward of the future as well as Kevin Love's dealt with a lot of injuries. So honestly, I think another higher pick could definitely benefit them if they could get a Jonathan Kaminga type of guy to add to that team. That'd be good for them. It was good to see some of the growth out of their young guys. It was good to see some of the nice moments where they like beat the Nets, but this team just simply isn't good enough, unfortunately. Uh, the Wizards, I just think that defense is way too bad, uh, and I just think they dug themselves way too much of a hole. They're actually only two games behind the 10th seed now, which obviously isn't impossible to get out of, but I just think the defense is way too bad for them to be a playoff team, and I just I just don't believe it can happen. And then the Pistons, while for some reason they show up against all the best teams in the league, uh, I just don't think they have enough talent, and I I just think they're not a good enough team, uh, but they've had some nice moments, and obviously they've had some impressive wins this year, but uh, they're definitely not a team I expect to make the playoffs. So that was NBA contender or pretender, and now we're going to be getting into some potential trades that could happen. First, I want to talk about Andre Drummond, who is going to be uh, getting traded or bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is definitely very, very interesting. They're obviously choosing a clear direction now, which is going with the young guy in Jared Allen, which I think makes complete sense. I was one of those guys who I was a little bit uh, confused. I, I thought it was a good move for them to get Jared Allen, but I was always just like, what is going to happen to Andre Drummond? Uh, but I think Jared Allen, ever since he's gotten on this team, has proved he's simply the better basketball player. And I think it makes sense uh, for them absolutely to trade Andre Drummond and to move into that youth movement. And I definitely think it's a very, very interesting case for what they're going to get for Andre Drummond. Because Andre Drummond is obviously a player who can put up big numbers. Uh, but I saw this thing from an NBA scout and I thought it made a lot of sense where he said he could have 30 and 20 on the game and have very, very little impact to actually wins. And that is a bit of an extreme example. Uh, but I think that's true with Andre Drummond. He's a guy who's going to put up big numbers. And a lot of people who will casually watch the game and just look at box scores will think he's a very good player. But he's not. He does a lot of things that really, really bring down his value as a player. I feel like he can be really lazy on at times, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I feel like he is a much worse interior finisher than he should be. And that actually ends up inflating his uh 
uh, rebounds a lot because he misses so many shots on the inside and gets the offensive board. That's why we see as a center, his field goal percentage isn't even above 50% and he's basically only taking shots at the basket. I feel like he can have a lack of self-awareness at times and do things that he simply isn't good at that hurt the team a lot. Like sometimes he'll handle the ball and he'll get it stolen. We've seen him take threes before. Like I just feel like there's a lot of things about Andre Drummond that aren't conclusive to winning basketball. And when you already have a center who is younger than him and is better than him, it completely makes sense for the Cleveland Cavaliers to trade him, especially considering they only gave up basically a second round pick uh, to get him in the first place. But I'm just interested to see uh, who's even going to be looking for a guy like Andre Drummond. Obviously, it's not really something that they're going to get a ton of value for. I think we all know that. Uh, it's just where is my question. And honestly, I think the Toronto Raptors, uh, which was rumored by Shams, is probably the best place because they really do need an interior presence. But my one thing is, uh, who are you giving up to get, get Andre Drummond? Because if they gave up someone like Norman Powell, I just don't really think that makes sense. Norman Powell's a guy who's under contract. He's a good player. He's been good for them these past couple of years. Uh, I think, honestly, a thing that can happen is Kyle Lowry being traded. Obviously, he's not going to get traded to the Cavs because Lord knows they have plenty of guards. But I think in some sort of three-team trade, which I haven't really thought of, but I'm just throwing the idea out there. I think it's some three-team trade where they're like, you know what? Uh, Kyle Lowry, you've been amazing for us. We appreciate what you've done so much. But at this point, I don't really think we uh, need you because we have our guard of the future in Fred Van Vliet. We have a long-term backup in Malachi Flynn, and we want you to uh, go to another team who could realistically get you another ring, and we want to get more of an interior presence to uh, still try and win this year. So uh, you're on the last year of your contract. It makes sense to get rid of you. And I could definitely see another team absolutely swooping in there and throwing a good amount to get Kyle Lowry. Cause I think Kyle Lowry is one of the most impactful uh, players in the league. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. Well, he's taken a bit of a step back this year. He's still been good. And I think on a contending team, he could be a massive, massive part. I mean, a team like the Clippers has been thrown around and while they would have to give up some players that play important minutes to them. And that would definitely be a bit weird. I could see it happening. But another thing that I could see happening is him getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks and getting paired alongside Luka Doncic because they do have the expiring contract in James Johnson. Uh, Johnson. They do have the contract they want to probably get rid of in Dwight Powell. And I think that's a very, very realistic landing spot. So whether it be a three-team trade or a four-team trade, I think that could be a destination for Kyle Lowry. I think the Miami Heat, if they really want to make a push to make the playoffs uh, and be a better team than they are right now, could be a landing spot for Kyle Lowry, getting rid of Goran Dragic and Myers Leonard and then whatever other value they'd have to give up. I think there's a lot of teams that could uh, go after Kyle Lowry, but uh, the Heat and the Mavericks are currently my two favorite spots for a guy like Kyle Lowry, and I think that could be a big, big part in a potential Andre Drummond uh, to the Raptors trade, but other trades for Drummond, I honestly just don't know if they're really there. The Hornets have been rumored for a while, but I think they're fine with Cody Zeller, and I just think that they would have to give up too much value, because if you look at the Hornets right now, they're much. it's much different to the Hornets a couple years ago. If it was the Hornets a couple years ago, and they could... Uh, could have just given up like Nicholas Batum and then a second, then I would say, hell yeah. But if you look at them now, they actually don't have too many bad contracts because they have Cody Zeller who it would have to be in that trade. But then you look and it's like, who's the other guy? You'd have to give up someone like Malik Monk 
who's been really, really good for them this year, and I think they would want to hold on to. Uh, so I don't think that trade is there. Um, and honestly, the only other way I really see him getting uh, moved is through, is through a buyout, which I just don't think will really happen because I, I do think some team at least would be interested in Drummond enough uh, before he would get bought out. Uh, but at a certain point, if no trade does formulate, then you're going to have to buy him out because that's not only a bad look uh, for you, uh, I think Drummond would be very upset because he's not playing until he does get traded. So that would just create a lot of tension and it would be very, very weird. And I think players around the around the league uh, would definitely not be interested in going to you in like the future just due to the fact uh, that you uh, kind of screwed over Andre Drummond and you made him sit and then you just didn't get rid of him for a while. So I think they have to make that move pretty immediately. So a buyout is kind of the last resort. But honestly, as long as the Cavs get like a second round pick, this is a W for them because they're basically in equal value. They had him for like a year and now they're just moving into this new era of Cleveland basketball. And I think it makes sense for Andre Drummond to go to a different team who needs his services much more and who's going to use him more. So I think it just makes sense for both sides. I'm just at the end of the day interested to see the deal. Uh, like I said, I'd be interested in him going to the Heat. Or the Mavericks, Clippers, another interesting option, even though they'd probably have to give up some pretty uh, good rotation players. Uh, it's all up to them if they really think that they would need someone like that. I mean, uh, they could definitely move on from someone like Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. Uh, I'm not a cap expert by any means, and I don't have like trade machine up, so I don't know if that would be able to work or if they'd have to give up like Luke Kennard or Marcus Morse as well. I'm just super interested to see what happens with the Andre Drummond trade. That's just a couple of ideas that I've thrown around. I would love to see your guys' opinions, so make sure to leave uh, in the comments potential Andre Drummond trades and potential uh, places that you would like to see him go, but that's just my thoughts on the whole Andre Drummond situation and him being moved on from uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I would definitely be interested to see where he ends up, whether that be a trade or a buyout. At the end of the day, we just have to wait and see. Trade season's coming up soon, so I'm very, very excited. And yeah, that's my thoughts on Andre Drummond being moved on from uh, by the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back to talk about Blake Griffin getting traded or bought out by the Detroit Pistons. Okay, I'm back to talk about Blake Griffin, who is currently being shopped by the Detroit Pistons, and I definitely think this makes complete sense for them. The way Sadiq Bey's been playing, the way Jeremy Grant's been playing, they already have plenty of minutes at the forward position, and plenty of young players who deserve minutes there, so it makes sense to get rid of your older player who's been struggling really, really badly this year, and just try and get any value out of him before before it's too late uh, but honestly I don't know if any trade's going to be able to happen with Blake Griffin because at this point in Blake's career he has just fallen off so so hard and I mean it's been sad to see because it's all because of injuries we saw it in 2019, Blake Griffin was a top 15 caliber player. He was an all-NBA player again when he was healthy. He was absolutely killing it for the Detroit Pistons. But he fought through injuries towards the end of the season and in the playoffs, which have clearly derailed his career quite a lot. And, I mean, he already had so many other issues with injuries earlier on in his career. So that was just kind of the nail in the coffin for him. He had 
hasn't even dunked in a game since 2019, which is just absolutely crazy. As we all know, uh, Blake Griffin is one of like the highest uh, flying people in NBA history. He has some of the best uh, just dunks we've ever seen, and he hasn't even dunked since 2019, which again is just crazy. He's uh, taken so many steps back, but I do think there is hope for Blake Griffin, even if it's minuscule, and if somehow a bot. Uh, buyout is worked out then I could see some team going after him but the only situation that I do see Blake Griffin end up getting traded is where uh, they just get another bad contract that's longer uh, which I don't think the Detroit Pistons would be super happy about doing either so at this point I think he might just have to stay on the roster which is even weirder because uh, with a buyout uh, obviously, it makes sense for the Pistons to do a buyout uh, because with a it being a player option next year, they would only have uh, the dead cap from this year as long as I'm understanding how buyouts work, which I'm not going to act like I completely understand that. Uh, but for Blake Griffin specifically, because obviously this has to be agreed upon uh, by both sides, it would just not make sense because they would be leaving so much money on the table. And the only situation where I do see him getting bought out is where he says, I've already made a ton of money in my career, whether it be the massive contracts that I've got, whether it be the endorsements that I've got. So I just want to go somewhere where I can win and where I can be happy, even if it's on a much uh, smaller contract, even if I'm getting less shots. If he's all about just winning at this point in his career, and that is his main focus and priority then that's how I could see him going on another team and if that does end up happening then I would take a chance on Blake Griffin and if I was basically any NBA team especially considering this would be uh, probably just like a minimum contract I would pay Blake Griffin a minimum contract to potentially be a player that could be good for my team and if he's not good who cares he's a minimum contract player he's fighting to be in the league anyway so it's not like he should have a massive ego about getting a certain amount of minutes or touches so if I was a Celtics who who uh, could use some play at the four four position, then I would give Blake Griffin a contract if it was a, a small deal. If I was almost any competitive NBA team, I would definitely do that, especially if you need forward play and you just would like to take a swing on someone who, again, has the potential to be very, very good. Uh, even though I don't think it'll happen at this point in his career, he could still even be just a rotation player for you, which obviously isn't the Blake Griffin of old. But at this point, you kind of just have to accept who Blake Griffin is with all the injuries that he's dealt with and with the age that he's at. And he could potentially mold himself into being a good role player as long as he he continues to work on his three-point shot, and that's good. If he can use his high basketball IQ uh, to be a good playmaker, and then if he could focus some of his some more of his energy on uh, the defensive end, then he could potentially be uh, a decent role player in the league again. But this is definitely just such a weird situation because that contract, even though it's only like a year and a half longer, is so bad that I don't really know if any uh, – and it's just so big that I don't really know if any other team is going to be super willing to just take it on because it's not like the NBA of old. Like, there's obviously still bad contracts in the league, and Blake Griffin's one of them, but there's not a ton of bad contracts. And if you look at the bad contracts, most of them are longer than Blake's. So – if the Pistons are in the mind state of we just want to get rid of this contract, then uh, 
and then you want to clear up some money to potentially uh, go after a young guy. Say if they wanted to like max John Collins when it comes free agent time, then you would have to get a one-year contract for Blake, and I don't think you're getting that really. The only way I see that happening is, what, if you trade him for like Kevin Love to get a longer contract? But why would why would the Cavaliers do that really, and why would the Pistons do that? That would just be a weird-ass trade. Uh you want to trade Davis Bertans for him? Then what are the Wizards doing? They have two of the worst contracts in the league uh, for a team that has a ceiling of like a tenth seed. It's just Blake Griffin is in such a weird part of his career that him getting traded, I just don't really see it happening. Obviously, anything could happen in the NBA. These GMs have uh, traded so many contracts that I thought were completely untradeable and somehow got good value out of them or just any value at all. And especially with four three-team trades, uh, you definitely could uh, figure out something that works. But I just don't see what's going to happen right now. So unless Blake Griffin agrees on a buyout, that would be paying him less money but could give him the chance to contend. I don't really know where Blake Griffin's going to go, but it kind of just feels like he's stuck. It's it's just a really weird situation and definitely very, very interesting. Super excited for trade season. It's definitely getting heated up now uh, with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. But both of those situations are definitely really weird. And honestly, I don't know uh, what either uh, team is going to get value out of those guys, and especially when it comes to Blake Griffin. That has been the episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. It's Ben Michael. Peace out.